1: Hello and welcome back to Recovering Faith Podcast. I'm glad you're part of the Recovering Faith family. And if you haven't already, I would greatly appreciate it if you would stop by iTunes or whichever place you listen to uh, this podcast at and uh, leave a rating and a review. It greatly helps to for new people to find it if you uh, leave a rating and a review. So, I appreciate that. Uh, I want to start this episode with a joke that I heard a long time ago when I was was a kid, I think. And it goes like this. There were three preachers who were sitting around discussing the collection plate, and they were talking about how they determined what portion of the money was theirs and what was God's. The first preacher said, I draw a line in the middle of the floor, and I throw all the money up in the air, and what lands on the side closest to me is mine, and what lands on the other side is God's. The second preacher said, I have a similar method. I draw a circle in the middle of the room, and I throw all the money in the air, and what lands in the circle is God's, and the rest is mine. The third preacher said, I just throw all the money in the air, and I figure whatever God wants, he'll take. In case you haven't figured it out yet, this episode is on the subject of religions that demand or require people to give specific amounts of money in order to be in good standings, or those that tell people that their salvation or right standing with God is dependent upon giving money to the church, and or those institutions that mishandle, waste, or get rich on the money that the membership is compelled to give. I'm not against giving money to a church. In fact, I think it's a good idea. I just take issue when people are compelled to give or are told that their salvation depends on them giving a specific amount or any amount at all, or when they are told that they will receive a specific blessing for giving a specific dollar amount, especially when they are in a position where they can't afford to give. Giving money to a church would be considered a good work, and we are saved by grace through faith, and not of works, lest any man should boast, as the Bible says in Ephesians 2.9. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary in the first place. Anyone who tells you that you have to give money in order to be saved or to be right with God is lying to you. I give to my church and to other religious or charitable organizations, But I will never again align myself with any church that demands or makes membership conditional upon giving. I look at it this way. If you get something positive out of going to church, then you should contribute. Most people don't think it's a big deal to spend money going to a sporting event, a movie, museum, or other venues, yet they balk at giving to the church, even if they attend every week and have a positive experience. But then again, once you've paid your $15 or whatever it is to see a movie, they don't pass around a collection plate or demand more money in order for you to see the rest of the film. If you're attending church and getting something out of it, and let's be honest, there's no reason to attend if you aren't getting something out of it, then you should contribute to help keep the lights on and whatnot. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9-7, each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Yes, this is saying that we should give, and that we should do so uh, that we should not do so reluctantly, but a lot of churches seem to miss the part that says we are not to give under compulsion. When a person is told that his or her salvation or right standing with God is tied to their giving, they're being compelled to give. I also don't think that churches compel people to give out of a concern for their souls, but rather out of a lust for money. And there are certainly many examples of churches that love money more than people, and such a thing is not pleasing to God. I am convinced that the reason most people are uncomfortable when a church starts talking about money is because of all the churches that have millionaire preachers who are always asking for more money from the congregation often more than they can afford to give, sometimes promising the sick, the lame, the blind, healing, if they will give, only to later tell them that the reason they were not healed is because they didn't have enough faith. uh, I've recently watched an episode of John Oliver's show, and he did a segment on churches that take advantage of people and make them give them money and promise them all these kind of things and uh, i'm going to play an excerpt from that from that show so uh, i'm going to put a link to the show in the uh, show notes so that if you want to watch the whole thing you can but i'm going to play a short clip from it
0: Churches are a cornerstone of American life. There are roughly 350,000 congregations in the United States, and many of them do great work, feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, but this is not a story about them. This is about the churches who exploit people's faith for monetary gain, and uh, let me show you that in action. The size of your seed will determine the size of your harvest. I don't understand why, but there's something happens at a level where people step into faith and give a thousand dollars that don't happen at other levels. You're going to have a breakthrough through this $273 seed. All you've got is $1,000. Listen, that's not enough money anyway to buy the house. You're trying to get in the apartment. You're trying to buy the house. That's not enough money anyway. You get to that phone and you put that seed in the ground and watch God work it
1: out. When we're desperate to have more money, we eagerly follow the Lord's law of finances, which is, of course, tithing. Consider President George Q. Cannon's approach to tithing when he was an impoverished young man. When his bishop commented on the large amount of tithing poor young George was paying, George said something like, Oh, Bishop, I'm not paying tithing on what I make. I'm paying tithing on what I want to make. And the very next year, George earned exactly the amount of money he had
0: paid tithing on the year before. The, the, the argument is, sow your money in the ground and you will reap returns multiple times over. Except, as an investment, you'd be better off burying your money in the actual ground, because at least that way there is a chance your dog may dig it up and give it back to you one day. Good boy. But, but it can get even more predatory, because if, say, you don't have $1,000 or perhaps have significant debts, Seed Faith can still work for you. I have a feeling that somebody that wants a credit card debt wiped out, that if you'll use your faith as you sow, as you sow the thousand on a credit card as you use your faith as you use your faith God's going to wipe out your credit card indebtedness
1: I mean, isn't that just disgusting? This pastor is in this case it's uh, Mike Murdoch but he's standing up there telling people that if they would put a thousand dollars on a credit card when they're already swimming in debt that god will wipe out their debt that's not the way it works and he knows it's not the way it works but he knows that he can convince them to do it and he don't care doesn't care what happens to him he just wants the money and then there's this guy
0: just earlier this year a man named creflo dollar got people's attention with a bold request.
1: Pastor Creflo Dollar of the World Changers Church International facing harsh criticism after starting a fundraising campaign to buy this $65 million luxury private jet. If I want to believe God for a $65 million
0: plane, you cannot stop me. You cannot stop me from dreaming.
1: And that isn't even the worst of it. Uh, We get back to... Mike Murdoch again, and he's just rubbing it in people's faces about how much of their money he's spending.
0: But, but here's the thing, Creflo Dollar wanting a private jet is not remotely unusual. There is a pattern of preachers wanting high-end airplanes, and when they get them, they're not always particularly humble about it. I had enough money to buy a beautiful Cessna Citation jet, cash. And since there's so much jealousy in this room tonight that I can feel over this a few weeks later, I bought another one worth three times what that one was cash. Act happy over my blessing folks
1: as you heard in that example, there are a lot of different faiths that that ask for money and and including the LDS Church saying that some of those talks were from, uh, from LDS talks telling people that uh, they should give even when they can't afford to and the uh, the LDS Church or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints which is commonly referred, referred to as the Mormon Church because of their belief in the Book of Mormon they teach that in order to go to the highest level of heaven one must attend the temple And one of the many requirements that must be met in order to be considered worthy enough to go to the temple is to give a full 10% of your income to the church, along with fast offering, missionary offerings, and other offerings. The Mormon church is basically telling its members that in order to be saved, they must buy their way to heaven by giving at least 10% of their income. The church even counsels its members to give 10% of their money when doing so will make it so they can't buy food or pay their rent. There have been many, many general conference talks on giving money to the church and a lot of times they stress that you should give especially when you can't afford to do so. No bishop, no missionary should ever hesitate
0: or lack the faith to teach the law of tithing to the poor. The sentiment of they can't afford to needs to be replaced with they can't afford not to. One of the first things a bishop must do to help the needy is ask them to pay their tithing.
1: Gordon B. Hinckley, who was the 15th president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints said,
0: We hear some these days who say that because of economic pressures, they cannot afford to pay their tithing i recall an experience i had as a state president some years ago a man whom i knew came to get his temple recommend signed i questioned him in the usual way and asked among other things whether he was paying an honest tithing he candidly replied that he was not that he could not afford to because of his many debts i felt impressed to tell him that he would not pay his debts until he paid his tithing
1: i was a member of the LDS Church for a lot of years, and I followed all of the rules, and there were times when I had to choose between paying the rent and buying food, and paying tithing. But in order to be obedient, I paid my tithing first, and as a result, I suffered greatly. In order to survive, I had to ask the church for help, and they did agree to give me some food on the condition that I would volunteer at the church's thrift store which is called Deseret Industries. Uh, They wanted me to to volunteer there for at least 20 hours per week. Even though I was working full-time and at the same time was a full-time student, I only accepted help from the church for a few weeks before taking on another job so that I could support myself and my family, and the bishop was upset that I refused to do any more service for the church on the grounds that I simply didn't have the time. I guess the bishop either didn't understand or didn't care that working 60 hours a week while taking 18 upper level college classes did not leave me any time. For reasons that I don't have time to go into in this episode, I eventually left the Mormon Church. If you're interested and want to learn about my reasons for leaving the Mormonism uh, or my journey into or out of the church, I went into great detail about it in previous episodes. After I left the Mormon church, I lost all faith and it was several years before I came to Christ. A while after I came to Christ, I moved back to Missouri. And before I found a church to call home, I went to church with one of my family members. Before I had even taken a seat, someone handed me a folder with information on the church, what they believed, and how to join the church. After the worship music, the pastor got up and started laying on the guilt trip pretty thick in order to get the people to give generously as the collection plate was passed around. As soon as the collection plate started its journey through the congregation, the ushers got up and locked the doors. Being locked into a building immediately puts me on edge, and my first thought was how poorly things would go if there was a fire. Now, I'm not a lawyer or an attorney or anything like that, but I highly suspect that it's not legal to keep people locked in a building against their will and demand that they give money in order to be released once everyone had a chance to put something in the collection plate they took it to the back and then counted it and then they passed it around again the pastor said that god had told him that he had to raise a specific dollar amount that sunday and he would keep passing the collection plate until the goal was reached and that the doors would have remained locked until they reached the goal when the second offering had been counted they decided they still didn't have enough money and they passed the collection plate around again for the third time I had no intention of giving to that church, and I was determined not to give when they demanded it. While the plate was being passed around for the second time, or a second or third time, I'm not sure, I briefly read the papers that I was given about the church. The part in the pamphlet that really caught my attention was the line that said to be a member of the church, you had to commit to giving a minimum of 10% of your income and had to show bank statements or other financial records to prove that you were giving a full 10% of your income. After that, there was a few paragraphs about how blessed a person would be if they gave money to the church, and the condemnation they would be under if they didn't give. Looking up from the pamphlet, I scanned the crowd and noticed that none of the people looked overly blessed financially or with health, and many were obviously poor and in ill health. As with many other religious organizations, that church was clearly exploiting people. I'm not sure if the money the people threw into the collection plate was part of the 10% they were required to donate to the church or if it was in addition to that amount, but I suspect that it was in addition to the tithing because there was no accurate way to be given credit for the donation if you're just throwing money into the plate. And if uh, your membership is uh, dependent upon... uh, donating a certain amount then I would imagine that everybody would want to get credit for their tithing and so I imagine that they would pay their tithing through a check or something or make sure they put it in an envelope with their name and that the money through the collection plate was in addition to that there are a lot of problems associated with giving money to religions and being blessed in this life or with salvation after this life but I want to talk about three of them in my opinion, the worst part about the prosperity gospel, or any supposed gospel that promises salvation, that in any way is dependent upon giving money to the church, is that it falsely puts salvation in our hands, as if it were something that we could earn, instead of leaving it rightly in the hands of Jesus where it belongs. Tithing is a form of works, and the Bible teaches us that our best works are like filthy rags, which is uh, Isaiah 64, six. Therefore, it's not a currency that could buy us anything, especially not salvation. The Bible clearly teaches that we do good works because we are saved. We aren't saved because we do good works. The Bible plainly teaches that we are saved by the grace of God as a gift, and it is not something we can earn. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and Titus 3 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Paul went so far as to say that if we could be saved by the law, any of the law, including tithing, then Christ died in vain. He said, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing, Galatians 2.21. The next big issue with conflating righteousness with wealth is that it leads people to the false conclusion that if a person is poor financially, then they must be sinful or lacking in faith. A lot of people believe that because Abraham and Solomon were blessed with vast wealth, that it is God's will that all of us who follow him will be rich as well. But that's simply not true. There are many righteous and faithful people who are not rich and as you no doubt recall from the Bible, Solomon was not very righteous through most of his life and he did many things that were not pleasing to God. We have no evidence that any of the apostles were wealthy and there is an abundance of evidence that they gave up everything they had to follow Jesus and were never rewarded with wealth or comfort. In fact, Jesus even warned the apostles that their lives would not be easy, and he said, In this life you will have trouble, John 16:33. When Saul was converted and became Paul the apostle, God said to Ananias about him, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name, yeah. in Acts 9, 16. God did not say, I will show him how much money and comfort I will give him because of his faith, he said I will show him how much he must suffer. Paul suffered for the rest of his life and he died a painful death because of his faith. All the apostles were beaten and shamed for the name of Christ and after they were arrested and beaten the Bible tells us the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering grace for the name Acts 541. There are a lot of righteous people who are poor and a lot of wealthy people who are sinful And it's wrong to judge a person's righteousness or their faith based on the amount of money in their bank account, the size of their house, the influence they have, or their popularity. Longing for wealth can also lead to sin, as we read in Timothy 6, 9-10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is the, through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The third issue with teaching that our earthly blessings depend on how much we give is that we are not promised material wealth as a reward for our faith, or for the money that we donate to a church. Sure, some people are blessed with riches, but not everyone. John the Baptist, who lived in the desert wearing camel fur and eating wild honey and locusts, was so righteous that Jesus said of him, A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And that's Matthew 11, 9-11. And so, by Jesus' own words, John the Baptist was greater than David or Solomon, and yet He was definitely not rich, and in fact, he died in prison when he was decapitated. Jesus seems to indicate that those of us who serve God will not be blessed in this world or given any benefits above those who don't love him or don't live a righteous life, because he said, he, meaning God, causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, Matthew 5.45. When the poor widow threw in her two copper coins, which was all the money she had in the world, into the donation box at the temple, Jesus commented on her faith and said that it exceeded that of the Pharisees. However, he said nothing about material blessings that would follow because of her faith, and the Bible gives us no indication that this woman became wealthy as a result. And for all we know, she might have starved to death while living on the streets because she threw all of her money into the treasury. So, uh, there's really no evidence from the Bible that God wants everybody to be wealthy, and it's not a promise that he's given that if you give money to a religion that he'll make you rich. It's illogical to assume that because God blesses some in in a, a certain way that he'll bless all that same way just as it's illogical to assume that all people would have the same talents or be able to serve God in the same way. It's also important to remember that what we get from God is a gift and it can't be purchased and to think that if we pay money to the church that God has to bless us is the same as thinking that we paid for a service and now God is obligated to provide it to us. We owe God everything and He owes us nothing. And we can't make him bless us because we foolishly give money that we can't afford to some man-made organization that claims God told them to tell you to give your money to them. In the Bible, uh, we read of a man who saw Peter healing and doing other things through the power of God and asked to buy that power. But he didn't get the response that he wanted. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money, you have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that ye are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Acts eight twenty 20-23 Just like the man who thought he could buy the power of God, some people are convinced that by giving money to a church, they can buy healing or other blessings from God. But it doesn't work that way. Nowhere in the Bible did Jesus ever ask for donations or any money. He only asked for faith. As I said before, it's a good thing to give money to a church or other religious organizations if they are doing good with it, but we shouldn't assume that we will be blessed with wealth or anything else for doing so. It's not a sin to question where the money is going when we give it to a church because there are many people who will misuse money, especially if it comes in great quantity and there is no oversight or accountability. And for those reasons, I won't give to any, to any church or religious or any other organization that doesn't have clear accountability and doesn't tell you where the money's going. I give money to the church that I attend but I give because I want to and not because I'm required to. I never feel compelled to give and I and I'm not ashamed if I do give. I mean if I don't give. And when I do give, I try to never give money in a way that I'll get credit for it cuz that's not the point. I just anonymously put the money in the collection plate. Which is only passed once, by the way. There is also a great deal of accountability in the church I attend. And a few times a year, we have what's called a business meeting, where the members are told where every dollar is spent. And before any new budget items are approved, including raises for the staff. The congregation must vote on it and some of you may have come from a church where the uh, raising of hands or the or the voting on things is just ceremonially and or, or ceremony and the church will just do whatever they want even if someone votes against it but that's not the way it works in the church I go to if if people vote against it then they want to hear why they voted against it and if and if uh, the majority of people, or close to majority of people, votes against it, then they talk about it, and then they revisit it, or or don't do it at all. So, yeah, yeah. So accountability is good. Um, it's good to give to a church, but it's also the money doesn't save you. You're not saved because you give money to the church. Uh, you're not given extra blessings from God because you gave money to a church. We are saved by grace, which is a free gift of God. It's not something we can buy. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it or got something out of it. Uh, go by and check out my uh, YouTube page. Uh, it's uh, If you go to YouTube and then just put in Gene Curl, you'll find it. And then also, uh, if you want to go by and like my Facebook page. It is, uh, go to Facebook and then it's Recovering Faith Podcast. And if you want to reach out to me, you can contact me on my website, genecurl.com, or you can uh, send me a Twitter message. Uh, it's Twitter, at Gene Thanks for listening and God bless. Hope to catch you back here next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. Please rate and review this show and share it with your friends and family. You are loved.